you do the pleasure. Hi there. I want to talk to you about ducks. No thanks. Welcome to the Cult Film Companion Podcast, the home of movies that are off, under, and ahead of the cinematic radar. My name is Chris, I am your host, and I have a very special guest joining me for an all-time cult classic that I'm very excited to get into. But before I introduce my guest and the movie of the week, I just want to remind everyone that the Cult Film Companion Podcast is now available on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at cultfilmcomp, C-U-L-T-F-I-L-M-C-O-M-P. We are also featured on the Blind Knowledge Collective at www.blindknowledge.com, which is a great website for videocasts and podcasts from around the world that cover unique and interesting topics. So check out www.blindknowledge.com today. We are also a featured podcast on Newsly. Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android that picks up the latest trending articles based on topics that you choose to follow and then reads them to you in a natural human voice. For the first time in the history of the internet, the entire web becomes listenable. Download and use Newsly for free today at www.newsly.com. You can find us there under the featured podcast section. And please use the promo code C-U-L-T-F-1-L-M. That's cult film. Drop the I, pop it a one, and enjoy a month free of Newsly's premium service, courtesy of us. Now, with all that hot dogging and grandstanding out of the way, I would like to introduce my very special guest for Thief, Mr. Caesar Augusto, who is a influencer that brings you the cool and forgotten movies. Caesar, welcome to the show. Hello, Chris. Thanks for having me. I'm very stoked to be on here. And please tell us where we can find you on Twitter and any other social media handles you have. Tell us, tell us, you you do daily film recommendations. That's correct. Uh, I'm uh, primarily on Twitter. My uh, Twitter handle is uh, Rain's Hook. Um, and, uh, for all you, uh, cult film aficionados out there, the, I got my, uh, Twitter handle from, uh, the main character from the, uh, the cult 70s revenge flick, Rolling Thunder. Sweet. Um, it starred, uh, uh, William Devane as Major Charles Rain and who undergoes, uh, a roaring rampage of revenge against the people who killed his family and, uh, gnarled his hand in a, uh, garbage disposal and he replaced his ha- right hand but it is now severed right hand with a hook, hence Rain's Hook. It's one of my favorite movies of all time, Rolling Thunder, and uh, I decided to use my passion for said cult films like uh, Rolling Thunder and Thief, and I, I tend to influence, in particular, the younger set, Gen Zs and up, to watch these cool, forgotten uh, pieces of cinema. They are mi- they've missed out on these great films if you haven't seen them yet. I'm trying to convince people to check them out, especially the kids. 
you know, you're a perfect fit then for the show because basically what I'm trying to do the same thing. I'm trying, while I fill in the gaps of my own cinematic history, I'm helping, I'm trying to help other people fill in the gaps of their cinematic history. And as someone that grew up, you know, when I was an angsty teen or early twenties, uh, if if something was uh, made before the year I was born or made, you know, the, when I was five years old, you know, not something that I, I choose to I chose to visit at the time. But as I grown up and matured, I, I find that uh, some of the best cinema you're really missing out if you choose to put such limitations on what you're watching. And that being said, we're going to do a movie, Thief, that came out the year I was born, 1981. Now, Thief, before we get into the the plot and everything about Thief, I'm just going to read off some of the technical uh, aspects of the film. It was written and directed by Michael Mann, and this is his feature film debut. He had previously worked almost exclusively in television, primarily on shows like Miami Vice, which he later turned into a movie of his own. Thief is based on The Home Invaders, Confessions of a Cat Burglar by Frank Hoemer, which was released in 1975. Now, Thief has an excellent cast. The star, our, our, our protagonist or anti-hero, if you will, is James Kahn, who is a professional safecracker. His uh, partner is played by James Belushi. His uh, wife, and well, girl starts out as girlfriend, becomes wife, is Tuesday Weld. Features performances from Willie Nelson um, and Robert Prosky, who... Interestingly enough, despite being in his 50s, when this movie was made, this was Robert Prosky's first ever film. Uh, he would later go on to, to, to appear in, in, in many other projects, but it's just interesting to me. So if you get to that point in life where you think, oh, wow, life has passed me by, it's too late, I can't do anything, remember someone like Robert Prosky, and previously... I had covered Street Smart starring Christopher Reeve, but also had a performance from Morgan Freeman, who was in his 40s at the time. And that was his that was his big first role. And he was nominated for Academy Award. So, boys and girls, it's never too late. Uh, I also want to mention that the musical score here is performed and composed by Tangerine Dream, who, if you've seen an 80s noir thriller action movie, chances are you've heard some Tangerine Dream. I always, I remember the first time that I saw their name coming up, I can't remember what movie it was exactly, but I was like, Tangerine Dream? It's kind of an odd name for a band. Uh, And again, never judge a book by its cover. So I'm going to hand it over to you, Caesar. What is your... What is your history with the film Thief? Well, uh, it started with, uh, because as you mentioned, uh, it was the brainchild of Michael Mann. And um, he is one of my favorite directors of all time, if not my favorite filmmaker of all time. Uh, it started with, um, you know, a childhood uh, near obsession with Miami Vice. Sure. Uh, I started getting into that show. And um, as my own 
um, cinematic taste started to mature and blossom, I decided to go beyond the uh, the popular hype of Miami Vice and investigate Michael Mann's work even further. Uh, and then I would also discover first, prior to Thief, Crime Story. I don't know if you've you heard of that show or if you've seen it, but uh, that's my favorite TV show of all time. And uh, that starred Dennis Farina, who has a small role in Thief. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's yeah, and he's the um, the lieutenant of a uh, of um, a major crime squad in Chicago. And uh, that's that he's uh, battling. He and his unit battle all sorts of organized crime in uh, in Crime Story. And then from there, I uh, decided to delve even further into Michael Mann's work, and that's when I discovered Thief. Uh, at this point, I'm already a big fan of James Caan because of his work and The Godfather, and I decided to check out this film. Uh, what drew me in first was I saw the trailer to The Thief, and uh, it was so amazing. Um, I, Having already seen Michael Mann's later stuff, I started picking up all these elements I saw in the trailer, um, like the Tangerine Dream mm-hmm. uh, contract, and like which sounded a lot like Jan Hammer's uh, work in Miami Vice with a soundtrack for Natural. And um, I just I remember being blown away how cool this trailer was, and I decided to check it out for myself. Um, and this was at the time when um, Netflix still sold or sold doled out uh, DVDs over in the mail. I decided to rent it, rent it Thief, and uh, from then on, I was glued to this movie. This is probably uh, one of the coolest heist films I've ever seen. Absolutely. I was going to say, this movie is, it, you, you, you said it very succinctly. If you had to put up one word, it's just cool. Everything mm-hmm. about this, if you like a good heist movie, James Caan is phenomenal in this role, and... He has said that other than The Godfather, this is the role that he is um, most proud of. And particularly, there is a scene in a diner between him and Tuesday Weld where he delivers this, um, basically it's a monologue. It's, it's, it starts out as a conversation between the two of them, but it be, quickly becomes a monologue about kind of his philosophy of life, of, of what he learned being incarcerated and... For those of you that like a good heist movie and that you haven't seen Thief, this is probably one of the best heist movies. It does, um, it's interesting because so often we see those, um, those, those heist movies, it's just that, that one last job. If I can pull off this one last job, I'll be set for life and everything. Um, so we kind of got that kind of formula here, but we're introduced to James Con and uh, like you said the oh, just from the opening shots of this movie you can tell that it's got Michael Mann's vibes all over it the way the camera moves the way that the movie is lit um uh-huh. it's so he's he's got such an eye for exactly what he wants to do and what he wants to convey and speaking of the music I was doing some research. He originally had envisioned um, blues music, particularly Chicago blues music for this movie. And what what he kind of... Like, there are elements of blues music in it. But I think that his choice to go with an electronic-based score 
is very unique because it kind of speaks to the mechanical nature that James Kahn's character has in in this role. Do, do, you, do you hear what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I think with, with some of the uh, this type of film's predecessors, they would use more of a jazzy or blues kind of score, like you said, Chris. Like um, I'm thinking of like Lavo Schifrin. Sure. People like yeah, you know, like uh, more of like a thumpy beat, more of a jazz beat. You know, like with uh, with films like maybe Charlie Varick, like another uh, bank heist kind of film. I like that. I'm thinking of films like that, but with this, um, you you really nail it on there, uh, Chris. The fact that. It's more of a robotic, more of a, a somber and no nonsense kind of vibe to it. How what Frank thinks, and it's just almost laser, laser focus on his job as as a career thief, as a safe cracker. And Tangerine Dream really captured that that kind of electronica that's uh, no frills. It's supposed to be matching what his mindset and his mindset only. Right, he's very much. A black and, and I'm not talking uh, race or anything. I'm talking black or black. Things are either black or they're white. There is no gray area with his character, and I think that obviously with jazz and blues, there's a great deal of improv. Um, you have a loose structure, but then you it goes off on tangents, and musicians are allowed to explore different areas. Um. But electronic music, not not to say that it, this goes for all electronic music, but um, it, since it is very much reliant on machines and computers, it's very much you know coding is all ones and zeros. It's it's either one, it's either one or the other. So I think that the fact that we have a character here, who you know we we learn, we, it's amazing to me upon rewatch how much we know about this character because we know that he's been incarcerated. And then in the scene in the adoption age, we found out that he's a kid from the state. And so he's, he's known nothing else, but survival. It's where we have our flight. It's, you know, like we say, when we're, as a, as a person put into a corner, you have your fight or flight response. And, that's basically what he is. He's all fight or flight. And the big mistake that he makes in big mistake he makes in this movie is that he deviates from every from what has worked for him so far. Because he's very successful. He owns a car dealership. He has a bar that's a front for him. He's well known for for getting the job done when he needs to. He works with one partner played by James Belushi. I gotta say, and I'm I'm <laughs> I'm not generally a fan of James Belushi, but he, he he is excellent in this role. And I think that when I first saw that he was listed in the credits, I was worried that oh, is he gonna ham it up or is he gonna do some like cheesy kind of thing and other than from a couple little jokes here and there then no he he's really really good in this role in fact i have to say this whole cast is is great my my only um criticism of the cast and you you know i i'm interested to have a discussion with you cuz this is something that i've talked to numerous people about it not so much the inclusion of Willie Nelson 
but just the fact that he he kind of comes off in the in the grand scheme of things as kind of an afterthought. Like I wonder if there were more scenes that were kind of cut out or something because you know he's fine. He's not re- obviously Willie Nelson is not known for his acting, and I actually found him to be quite distracting the first time I watched this movie. Um, the scene between him and um, James Caan. But, I I mean, he, like I said, it almost comes off as an afterthought, and I, I understand why he's there. He's very much a father figure. But there's just kind of very little substance there. Uh, what were your, what are your thoughts on the cast in general, uh, but uh, also just like the inclusion of Willie Nelson, what you thought of his performance? Um, well, uh, starting with, um, your, your comment on, uh, Jim Belushi. Yeah, he surprisingly did very well. You know, he's typically, uh, a comedic actor, you know, like, uh, specialized in goofy characters. Um, uh, but he proved to be a pretty good psychic in this movie. He was, uh, he was Barry, uh, Frank's, uh, partner in crime and, uh, did a pretty good job. And it only made me wish that Belushi actually played it straight more often than he than he would later do. Um, as far as uh, William Nelson, I, I could see why for the first time around, uh, you may see him as just an afterthought, as in like, what, what's this what's this character supposed to be? Like, what, what's it all about? Um, I, I kind of had a similar feeling about that too, uh, the first time I've seen Thief. But after repeated viewings, uh, it did dawn on me that he is um, basically there to give Frank... Uh, a certain type of humanity that, uh, despite being a child of the state, uh, a ward of the state nearly all of his life, uh, he did have positive influences in his life. And um, Okla, uh, uh, Willie Nelson's character, was that. He was like, uh, he was a mentor. Uh, he, he would teach Frank all the tricks of the trade of becoming a professional safe cracker, plus, he taught him how to survive in the joint. Um, I, I see him as that. You know, he. Uh, He's that type of character to help move along our protagonist, our anti-hero, to uh, give him at least a shred of humanity. You know, he's not mm. not totally devoid of of human touch. Um, he was there to to show, kind of, I guess, like to add to the backstory of Frank that uh, this guy helped shape Frank to what he is now. You know, like a, a professional crook. Um, he taught him. The, the ways of being that type of, of thief that he is, you know, just uh, just popping over uh, open safes, don't be a cowboy, don't do home invasions. Uh, he, he's that type of exposition character, I guess you could say. He's there to mold Frank, and uh, now we know what kind of, uh, of a crook he is, and ultimately, a man. Yeah, you know, and you say that you're, he's adding a bit of humanity, and at first I was going to say, well, what about his... um relationship with Tuesday Weld. And then I had a thought that dawned on me. And it it, it only kind of happened upon this last reviewing before before recording this podcast is that Frank doesn't really know any other life and doesn't really know what a real family is. So it's almost like an outsider trying to put together the pieces of what he thinks a normal life is. You get the wife, you get the kids, 
you get the house, and well, I've got enough money from all this work, so I could. I think he makes a comment about I could sit around and watch daytime TV. He doesn't. I I don't even think that he necessarily wants any of these things. I think he's grasping on trying. In going back to the title thief, he's trying to steal a life. Like, he's trying to steal a life and make it his own. He seems, you know, he, he seems, uh, he's not really the romantic type when it comes to, to women. He has no, um, I mean, I'm just thinking back to, like, the adoption agency. He doesn't, he doesn't care what kind of kid he has. He just wants to have a kid because I think that he thinks that that's what this kind of life he's trying to put together is this his picture of a life well i need to it's so like thief i think it's almost like a dual meeting we're talking about someone that actually steals for a living but he's also kind of like stealing pieces of of life and trying to put together this puzzle of what of what he thinks he wants out of life and I'm not so sure how much of it he genuinely cares about. Like I said, with the kid, I'm not going to repeat some of the terms that he uses to refer to the kids here. Because right. uh, the, but um, the the way he talks, it's very much just like I don't care. Like it's almost like a status symbol, um, which kind of makes makes him. You know, it's. I, I'm not really sure. What what, what are your thoughts? Like, is does anything I just said make any sort of a sense of 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 his characterization here? Oh, absolutely. And you know what, Chris, you would have made a hell of a good FBI profiler or a phenologist if you're like if you're just good at analyzing uh, criminals. That's a that's a pretty good analysis right there. Uh, well, um, I'll just mention I I I my major in in. In school and in pre- previous to uh, taking up writing as a career, I, I, I was a psychology major and I worked um, w- with with um, people with um, substance abuse and uh, mental mental illness. So I, I've I've been around. Uh, my only I've I've never personally been involved in the law myself, but I've accompanied my clients to. Um, to various different hearings and whatnot. So I am very familiar with um, kind of, and I don't want to say uh, he probably has some sort, he, he probably has some sort of personality disorder if I was going to diagnose him. But please, I'm sorry I interrupted you. <laughs> no problem. No, no, it's a, it's a good little, uh, it's good backstory in your end. That's pretty cool, Chris. Thanks for sharing. No problem. Um, uh, do you remember back in the, uh, the diner scene where, Frank shows the uh, collage that he made for himself, uh, and he shows that to uh, the Jesse, uh, yes. Tuesday Welds character, um, right there. That's uh, that's his dreams. Yep. You know, that's his uh, his what what he yearned for. Uh, what like basically he has this fantasy of if he never became a thief, if he just became a regular Joe Schmo, uh, that would be what he would have by by that point. He would have a, a kids, uh, a house. Uh, Oak Club would probably have been his. Um, surrogate father right it's uh right there and then you know that that's a glimpse of the man that frank wanted to be but ultimately could never get it's pretty tragic if you ask me it's 
it, uh, it, because, because it's, it's his reality, and that's that's what he. He not only just show Jesse that he shows us the audience that that this this basically this almost Frankenstein monster kind of feel that he that he is. You know, he was he was shaped like this. He's like uh, not born into it, but he was shaped like it. And it's sad stuff, but you know, it's what he wanted, and it's we, we got a taste of that now. Right, and 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 I'm so glad you brought up the collage because that kind of further backs up my my theory here is that he's he's taken pictures out of magazines and newspapers these aren't even like his own dreams like he's stealing he's stealing images to put together yeah. a, a life of what he wants because he doesn't he doesn't he hasn't he hasn't had the life experience to formulate these dreams other than what he's seen happen with other people um, and and I think you put it perfectly. It it is. It's a very tragic story because you kind of he he's you know he lives by a code and he you know and if he had kind of maintained that 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 code and not gotten involved with uh, Robert Krosky, like none of this would have happened. Then again, the movie wouldn't have happened. Right. But I think it's kind of <laughs> I think it's ironic. Have you? by any chance read the source material uh the home invaders no i'd love to okay uh, I, if i could find that in my local library i definitely rent it or bar if i could because it is it's yeah the novel's called the home invaders confessions of a cat burglar and i believe that the person that wrote it was actually i think this was written from uh i think from his own experiences but it's very I, it's ironic that it's called the Home Invaders because one of the first things that he says when he meets Robert Prosky is, "I don't do home invasions." Right. So um, I, I'm I'm guessing that very again I haven't read the source material either, but I'm just theorizing that unless the title itself is ironic, the, the fact that you know, but I know that Michael Mann. He had done um, previous to this. Do you know uh, it was a TV movie, but it was it was filmed some. Um, it was filmed partly in Folsom Prison, and he he based a lot of the dialogue, especially that diner scene and that story that Frank tells, uh, was actually based on his own um, on Michael Mann uh, communicating with these convicts mm-hmm. and. One of the things that I think is very, very interesting about this movie is the respect for detail, for authenticity. All all of like the safe crackings that we see in this movie were safes that were designed. We're not looking at props. We're looking at actual tools that were used. And they had actual thieves and safe crackers as technical advisors on this movie um so if you want to know how to rob a a crack a safe you might want to take a look at this take a look at this movie it kind of reminds me of um the only link that i can think of is a tangerine dream but another tangerine dream movie that uh will score was to live and to die in la directed by free uh william friedkin and the whole counterfeiting thing that that the counterfeiting that was in that movie was so realistic that I guess like the US Secret Service had to take a look at it beforehand. So 
we get like the 80s. I mean, for as much as we think of the bright neon lights and some of the schlocky action and some of the uh, over the top uh, horror movies or, you know, over the top action movies. There are filmmakers in the 80s that were making these very gritty, real movies. And and something like like Thief, Thief. which is um, really, really grounded. Um, What are are some standout scenes for you in this movie? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, first of all, it would be the uh, the opening uh, heist itself when he was uh, breaking into the vault. Right, Um, yes. And it's funny that you mentioned like how the authenticity of having so-called um, consultants, technical advisors onto the um, onto the set. I'm surprised that the filmmakers, unless they have, I, I I've not fully checked on this part, but I'm surprised that the filmmakers never put up the disclaimer saying um, this was done and show. This this was just uh, for promotional material. Please do not imitate what we're what we're trying to uh, accomplish here. Um, it's what I love about Thief. It's almost a, a documentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How to become a professional safe cracker. It is so. It looks so ridiculously real, so accurate, and I, I wouldn't know. I'm not a. I'm not a criminal, but then I'll, I'll take the word for it. Just how realistic it looks. Um, and I, I love the fact that they used a real ex-thief as one of their technical advisors, uh, John Santucci. Um, he was. He actually spent time in the joy i think it was in joliet in in illinois and he was uh, a real crook who, who would later lend his services as a technical ad- advisor to michael mann and they would work together so many times later on uh and he provided the the tools and showed the know-how how these tools work during the the heist scenes in the film like the the burning bar that was used to melt through the, um that those inches thick metal mm-hmm. in the vault i'm sorry no, I'm disagreeing with you. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. Oh yeah, and it's it was just so amazing. Like the they they just they didn't BS this at all. This is uh this is almost like a how to and how to uh, uh, crack open a safe. Um, and uh, yeah, I, the, I would definitely. I was, uh, if I could just just interject for a second, that 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 um, just looking over my notes here so that opening scene that is an actual vault that the they purchased for the movie uh it cost them ten thousand dollars and they basically bought a real vault so that like you said um santucci was his name um supplied all the real tools and techniques so yes like if you wanted to say it is a, like a documentary, like watch this opening scene. This is actually a vault being broken into. That's that's just amazing. And like yeah. you, like you said, the fact that there's no disclaimer. Um, th- there probably would have to be if it, this was made, you know, these days. But um, All right. Just, just All right. brilliant, brilliant stuff. Indeed, and God knows how many copycats would have tried doing that too. It just seems labor intensive, I guess. That's why there's not that many copycats of uh, of them trying to rec- recreate the uh, the breaking scenes from from Thief. And uh, it's funny that you mentioned about to live and die in L.A. about the fact that well, what was it, the Treasury Department? Yes, who were yeah. there to make sure that it was a Treasury uh, Department the, and um. This is something. Well, this is something else that the, uh, the Treasury Department and something that I learned from "To Live and Die in L.A." When you think of the Secret Service, you often think, "Well, they protect the president, they protect politicians." They're yeah. also they're also heavily involved in counterfeiting. I'm not sure why, but 
They are. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre that they uh, uh, they would have that as an extra arm for the Secret Service. But, you know, I, I guess that the, uh, that the FBI is too busy catching serial killers and uh, crooks just like Frank. Uh, they'd probably be too busy handle, handling people who who, who uh, deal in funny money. Right. Uh, but it's funny about the technical advisors that we were on that subject. Um, uh, Dennis Farina, uh, the great Dennis Farina, was uh, a real in this film as well. And uh, not only did he act in the film, but he also was a technical advisor, I believe. This and Heat. Um, and, and ironically, he plays one of Leo's uh, henchmen as um, as a thug, whereas John Santucci, the real life ex thief, played a cop. And thief, albeit a really crooked one. Right. Uh, Dennis Farina, he was a real police officer, if I'm not mistaken. That's right, in the Chicago PD from the 60s all the way down to the 80s. Then, you know, that's when he retired from the force and became a full-time actor. And uh, I, I think the first time... Yeah, it was funny because um, I oh, every time I think of him, I, I think Get Shorty. Because uh, he's just great in that. But yeah, he... Oh, he was a henchman in this, um, and I kind of miss that. And, and, and I, I some like movies of this era. Go, and again, going back to the eighties, um, one a, a movie, uh, a, another Friedkin movie. We will get back to Thief eventually, but um, for my money, Cruising is one of the most underrated police movies. Ever and the whole the history behind that movie. If you're interested, I um to the, the audience listening, I I delved into cruising. That's something that I've covered. But I I I kind of miss the fact that movies now get so fantastical. And and I get it. If fantasy is your thing, Lord of the Rings, the MCU. I miss the the realism, and these filmmakers would go out of their way. You know, not to say that they don't now, but they seem to have a real passion for authenticity, and the authenticity of Thief just is—it's all over the place. The way that he handles his business, the way that he has a front for his money, is by you know a used car lot and a and a restaurant. There's just there's so many different elements here at play, and it just makes for such a great great dynamic movie and the fact that Robert Prosky for being the for being his first time in a feature film uh and being an older gentleman he's still he's menacing in this movie um oh absolutely he he kind of started off as almost like a criminal Santa Claus wasn't he like he was all benevolent he was all kind of jolly and, and laughing until the scene where he's forcing Frank to become a full-time employee under his um, uh, under his employee, and then Leo just becomes the fucking evil e- evil entity. He became he became basically Hannibal Lecter in this case. He just it's just so scary that that monologue that he tells um, tells Frank that he's going to force Frank's um, girlfriend yeah. Jesse into prostitution and then sell their adopted baby and turn him into hamburger meat. Yeah. That was nightmarish. Oh my god, I couldn't believe it. And the way, and I love the, and again, this goes back to the brilliant cinematography. I, I, I have the cinematography here somewhere in my notes. He, he shot a great deal of movies. Um, he actually shot one of my all-time uh, favorite 
rock musicals. He shot, um, the cinematographer that worked on Thief also shot Purple Rain. So, um, he's forever in my, yeah, he's, uh, someone that, and I I don't think he ever worked with Michael Mann again, but his cinematography here, he he worked a great deal in the eighties. Um, and then I started looking later in his cinematography and he started directing some schlock in the nineties, but you got to pay the bills somehow. Um, but I love the fact that, yes, the monologue is delivered, but like the camera is tilted upside down. So he's look like as a viewer, you're looking at Robert Prosky upside down, delivering this menacing monologue. And to me, putting, putting the audience into Frank's shoes in, in that moment, um, just a great, great work with cinematography and just everything about this. There are scenes, um, that opening, yeah, the opening scene is just full of just these beautiful long shots and cars driving down. Like, like there's something about it, especially my co-host loves these, these, just something about a car driving at night with the street lights. Um, yeah. It's very, it, it's very atmospheric. Um, and there's a great, it's just a great use of color and locations that this movie takes place and we've got shots on a rooftop when they're scouting out um one of the vaults we got shots on the beach um just it just it it, it's just for a a debut future feature film um it's 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 already got the the michael mann fingerprints there on it absolutely um i'm thinking Harkening back to the the beginning part of uh, the film, where Frank is driving, that's a classic Michael Mann st- uh, stamp in of itself. Um, it's always that atmospheric night drive, you know that yeah. uh, the Miami Vice fans should know about this, like Crockett and Tubbs driving to uh, to their next thing in the pilot episode of Miami Vice. Um, I immediately thought of that scene when Frank was driving on his way to the score. Um, I, I don't know how Mann captures that, but it's just brilliant. Yeah, you know, plus like the uh, uh, the rainy streets and right. uh, the, the lights shining on there. This is neo noir um, personified. When you say this is, if it weren't for this, we wouldn't have cool heist films today or cool TV shows today. Um, that's what makes Thief so memorable. Is it's the first of its kind. It's I, I don't even want to say MTV style film noir, but I guess it kind of is. It, it's slick. It's it's colorful, but at the same time, it's extremely well done and artistic. It's it's not flash for the sake of flash. No, it's it's uh, uh, an auteur's. Uh, no, I shouldn't even say. Well, I guess it is an auteur kind of work. It's uh, a serious aspiring filmmaker's dream uh, to make something like this, and if they want to go down that route, should definitely watch Thief first. Right, uh, and, and you were just talking about some shots that r- reminded you of other man work. I'm I'm thinking of um. There's a shot in Collateral, where he looks in the back. There's coyotes crossing this the empty L.A. streets. Do you know? What yeah. Um. Again, there's um. Yeah, you can always. It's 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 interesting to me. I've done this uh, quite a bit on my show. Is going back to the um the first works of a director to see if you can find, you know, the foundation there of the greatness that would come. And I, I would have to say though, you know, we talked a lot about Miami vice. I think that the move, the, the later Michael Mann movie that this 
thief reminds me of most is probably Heat. Yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. Um, because you know Heat is especially well. It's you know we've got the cops and we've got crooked cop, crooked cops and and thief and whatnot. But I'm just thinking of um, and Heat. We've got the diner scene between Pacino and De Niro. And here in Thief, we've got the diner scene with uh, Tuesday Weld and James Caan. A um, lot of um, similarities there going on, uh, character dynamics of, uh, of, of what's happening. Um, what, what, if anything, were aspects of this movie that didn't necessarily work for you? Like they would say, mm, that could have used a little touch-up. Um... It wouldn't, it wouldn't be a whole lot. I, I would say this is a damn near perfect movie. Uh, I would say that the only thing I would probably be speed up in the film would be the um, the montage of uh, Frank and Jesse consummating their relationship. Yeah. Um, them yeah. walking on the beach. You know, I, I that's the only scene that I thought didn't fit the film. I mean, yeah, we get it. You know, their their relationship is blossoming. It's turning good, at least for a brief time. Um, that would be the only scene where I would at least put on a cutting cutting room floor, you know, like, like uh, kind of, it's almost like a needlessly happy scene in an otherwise really bleak, atmospheric, but awesome film. Right. Um, and, it, you know, th- this movie comes in at a lean hundred minutes, and uh, I, I, I'm not sure the length of the other Michael Mann films off the top of my head, but I, I'm going to warrant a guess that this is probably one of, one of, if not his shortest movies, I know he is uh, what probably two and a half hours long. Collateral, yeah, to, collaterals a good two hours. Miami Vice was um was was epic for it was basically an epic Miami Vice episode. But um yeah, I could I could have done with either either doing away with some of that kind of stuff or at least fleshing it out you got to go one way or the other the middle ground here like the stuff with willie nelson some of the relationship stuff um i think he needed to either flesh it out more or kind of just do away with it um but uh yeah as far as a debut feature film i mean you you can't do two you 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 could do a hell of a lot worse than than thief which um so this movie was released we said 1981 March 27th 1981 so i was uh uh less than a month old <laughs> when this movie came out um the budget for the movie was 5.5 million uh, and it only grossed about eleven point five million. So it, I mean, it, 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 you know, it wasn't it wasn't a breakout success, but it was successful enough to you know ensure that Michael Mann had a fu- uh, a, a future to come with it. But it's it, it did get very very good reviews, and upon critical reappraisal, continues to get good reviews and. I'm the proud owner of the um, the Criterion edition, which is just absolutely beautiful. 
And I'm still trying to buy my own copy of that. I only have the uh, the Bare Bones DVD that probably came out, I don't know, the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. I'm still trying to get my own copy, uh, my own copy of the, the Criterion Collection version of Feet. It's just so expensive. Even a used copy on Amazon is like 30 bucks. <laughs> but uh, one of these days, I, I will pony up the money to buy my own Criterion version of Thief. I, I, I'm dying to see all the other uh, special features on that, which the Bare Bones DVD did not have. Yeah, um, the, well, Criterion, um, I'll, 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 I'll talk to you after the episode. What I have an idea about something I want to do with Criterion. But, um, for so this movie was also, um, an interesting name popped up. This was produced by Jerry Bruckheimer. Now, yeah. this, I'm guessing, was probably pretty relatively early in his career because I'm so used to now, anytime it's a Jerry Bruckheimer movie you see that big logo it's like a lightning strike going down into a, a into a street and he's known for these huge big blockbuster movies the pirates of the caribbean the national treasure movies bad boys like all this yeah. kind of stuff um so i and, and 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 not only that um all all the tv work that he does now without i don't know how many csi Different, different versions oh. of CSI there are floating around now, um, uh, but I, I, I got I kind of got a figure, and I probably should have done a little bit more research. But I'm thinking that um, Michael Mann probably you know crossed paths with Jerry Bruckheimer, um, working you know probably in TV at some point. Um, are do you know what the original title for Thief was? Um, no, I don't. I don't know. Uh, what is that? It was Violent Streets. Oh, wow. But I, I, I'm not sure why they necessarily changed it. I have a couple theories. Um, first of all, I think Thief fits, just fits this movie better than Violent Streets. Sure. Uh, I'm also thinking that, so we're talking 81... What year did Mean Streets come out? That's that was seventy Scorsese. So maybe to kind of be like, well, we already had Mean Streets. Uh, do we need a Violent Streets? And uh, apparently we didn't. We got Thief, but we also didn't got Streets of Fire with Walter Hill later in the eighties. So who knows? Um, or maybe it was a Hill Street Blues thing. They were like, enough of the street. Just call it Thief. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and that's that's interesting. I mean, it, it's it sounds cool, but at the same time, very vague. I mean, like, what does what does that have to do with uh, with Frank's work per se? Um, apart from the fact that uh, he wound up blowing away Leo and his gang uh, in their house, but uh, apparently that's I, that's interesting. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. Yeah, again, I think the the thief just it fits this yeah, fits this movie, me. and again, I think I think it fits especially now. Now you know upon a couple rewatches that I'm thinking about uh, of him being a, a thief of life and also a thief of money. So I'm I'm really glad that they stuck with thief. Um, let's talk about the 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 um the conclusion to this movie is um if for those of you that are going into it uh it's a michael mann movie uh, there's not a great deal of action early on in this movie it's a very dialogue heavy movie um 
but it it pays off. They were they kind of blew their action load at the end when um, a house gets blown up, a car dealership gets blown up, a restaurant gets blown up, and then um, Frank. I mean, it's a sad ending, though. Um, you want to talk a little bit about the ending, about what like what what exactly happens here? Um, well, apparently after when Frank uh, refuses Leo's um, employment plan, a full-time uh, seed cracker for Leo the, the big Chicago fence, um, Frank just goes apeshit. He forces Jesse to, uh, to go away with their adopted son. Uh, oh, yeah, we've totally forgotten. Uh, not only does, uh, does Leo threaten uh, Frank's entire life, he also kills... Jim Belushi, he kills Barry yeah, yep. in a very unceremonious way. Like they, they, he and Farina jump Barry. They blow him away. Uh, horrible way to die, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, from there on, uh, Frank just goes on uh, on his vengeance trail. Uh, as you said, it's uh, Thief is a very slow burn movie. It's very dialogue heavy, very character enriched. Um, not a whole lot of action up until when the action hits, and it and when it hits, it hits. Hard. It, it's fucking hard. It's right. kind of like a Tarantino film or an Elmore Leonard novel. All these, uh, all these um, pieces of fiction. It's uh, basically you have to have to set that right kind of patience to sit through. I, I can kind of see why. Now that I think about it, I can see why Thief was only a modest hit in the, in the cinema because your Rambo and Terminator crowds aren't going to care for this kind of film. When no. you say Chris, no, they're not. <laughs> they they want one-liners. They want action. Fair enough. You know, I, I like those movies too, but then I, I, I'm more geared towards intelligent, um, masculine, macho films like, like Thief. Mm. Because it's it's so grounded in realism. Um, and it, uh, and going back to the, the ending of the film, uh, he, uh, Frank storms Leo's house. He kills Tom Signorelli, uh, the, the character of, well, the actor who, who plays uh, uh, Leo's uh, toady. And uh, from like after he after he, he kills them both, Farina's uh, uh, character uh, Carl uh, I, I recall his name now. Uh, Carl comes in with a shotgun and tries to level the playing field a bit, and he shoots Frank. Frank gets hit, uh, but then he thankfully he had Kevlar on. He had a bulletproof vest, and he manages to kill Carl. And then right then on, you see Frank walking into an uncertain future into the darkness. It's such a such a sad. Um, sad ending, and I, I've read someplace that Michael Mann and, and James Caan uh, both disagree on the endings. That uh, I think Michael Mann has a more optimistic feel that Frank is able to move on from what just happened to him, and then whereas Caan I think said that he it's more pessimistic. He thinks it's it's completely over for Frank at this point. He's probably either going to die from his gunshot wounds or he'll eventually get pinched by the cops. Yeah, um, as much as I like Michael Mann, I, I kind of got a James Con. I'm gonna, I'm gonna err on the same with James Con here. I, th- I think that he is. We see him trying to put together this life for himself, trying to make this this collage that he 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 made in prison become a reality, and he's doing it so mechanically that there are really no emotions involved. And I was talking about this earlier. He's just like, well, 
I don't think like he really. I don't think um, he he maybe he. I think he has the capacity to love and to care because he he clearly cares about Okla. Right. But as far as his relationship goes, he's really he just seems very disconnected emotionally from his own wife. Um, we see in the adoption agency that his emotional connection to having a child is kind of a selfish one. It's not so much that he wants to raise and love a child. He wants it as kind of a symbol or as, as like a an aspect of his status. And, be like everybody else. Right. And I think that once once he realizes that, you know, he he kind of should have stuck with his guns and not gotten all uh, involved with Robert Prosky, he disassembles his life mechanically. Like, he yeah. put it together. He was putting together the pieces of the puzzle, and when the puzzle was complete and it wasn't, it wasn't what he wanted or what he thought he was going to get. He's so easily able to just disengage himself that he, he tells his wife, like he, he doesn't even, I, I don't even think he tells her that he loves her at the end. Like, he's just like, you're going to take this money. You're going to take our son. You're going to give so-and-so the money. And then you're just going to disappear. There will be more money, but like, you're never going to see me again. Like he's so, he's just so detached he's such a detached person and yeah. i and i think that that comes from being a, a child of the state a ward of the state spending years in in the penitentiary um but he does i mean his relationship with uh, the willie nelson character shows that he does have this capacity to to love and to care for someone but it's it it's not there once he's on the other side of the bars. It's not um he's just he he's so he's very confused. And I can because he goes, you know, he goes to Willie Nelson's uh for advice about, you know, what do I do? She doesn't know what I do. And you know, he kind of spills the beans to her about everything that he does, but he's also like while he's doing it he's he's telling her things he's he's talking all about material possessions and he's not really talking about himself or what he has to offer he doesn't tell her that like i'm i'd be a caring husband and a loving father and i'm a good cook and i could fix up things around the house he's talking about how much his shoes cost and how often he's changing clothes and his cars and all this kind of stuff to him, it's he's he he's lacking humanity. He, you know, yeah. it's he's almost. I think he said, like the music. He's he's like robotic. Like he's he's been programmed this way through being in the system. Mm -hmm. And it begs the question: like, does he really love Jesse after all? Um, I, I think he was only just really qualifying himself as a possible provider for a family that he hopes to have with Jesse. Like, you know, he's saying that 
He has he wears a uh, hundred dollar slacks. Wears like the gold watch. Sure, he he can get all those nice things and he can make money out of it. But then ultimately, he would make a rotten father. He would make a rotten husband. Oh and, yeah. And, and yeah, he's only he's just only living for the moment. And uh, I really don't think that he is a good man. He, frankly, he isn't. No. Um, but you know, maybe you feel sorry for him. And then like he has uh, Frank has pathos i guess you could say the fact that he he invokes that kind of sympathy i mean not only he's the star of the show sure he's the protagonist and we're, we're supposed to root for him in a way uh but somehow it works you know and it's, it's it like it, it reminds me of that the line from heat uh where neil mccauley like that mantra that he has he has don't let yourself go and get attached to anyone not willing to walk out in 30 seconds flat if you feel the heat around the corner um frank should have had that you should have listened to Neil McCauley. If, ever, if they have ever met, Neil McCauley would have been a pretty good mentor to Frank, too, along with, with Okla. Um, he never should have been attached to anything that he was going to uh, let go of otherwise, and that ending proved it, didn't it? It did, yes. But, na- but now that you mention it, I'm thinking that he might not be in love with her, but at the very least he does love her in a weird sort of way and cares for her because he sends her away and he knows that he can't go because if he goes with her, they're going to be forever looking over their backs. They're always yeah. going to have to be on the run. And for her to to be free of him, I think he kind of realizes there's, there's a scene and to some people it might seem like a throwaway scene where they they break the final the final um vault heist uh Belushi and the other guy are emptying out the vault and he just sets up a chair and he just sits there and he lights up a cigarette and he just stares mm-hmm. <laughs> and like you could say that the you know like oh that's a throw he's n- nothing's being said there's no action going here i think this th- that scene is a turning point for him and he thinks that this is it. He's achieved. This is this is the the. I took. I said it was going to be one last job, and then I can live my life. And then when he goes to collect his money, and he finds out that it's being put into investments, and he's going to yeah. double his money, but he instead of saying okay, I can wait. He's a no nonsense guy. Like I said earlier, it's either black or it's white. I was supposed to have the white was this is my money and I'm gone. But Robert Prosky saying, no, this is we're dealing with the gray area here. Here's half your money. And then in a month or two, the, the rest of your money will be tripled by then. And he doesn't want that. And once he finds out that that's not the way it is, that scene of him just staring into an empty vault, smoking a cigarette comes on to. Okay. There, there's no other way out of this. And once uh-huh. and once his partner is killed, and I have to say, um, I love the little the the little uh, the little shootout at the at the um, at the car shop is just brilliant. Right. Just just the way that it's just the lit all those overhead lights of a cheesy used car lot that you see. It's a great it's a great setting. Um, 
and it 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 kind of it adds on a a, a little extra to what could be a, a normal you know a boring scene in, in a lesser director's hands, but right. but he does he realizes that you know he's never going to be free of this life, but I think he realizes that I dragged this poor woman and now this child in, into this life that I they can't be with me anymore because. It is going to be one last job, and my last job right now is to take to take out the people that would be hunting me forever. If I didn't take them out, they were going to take me out, and they were going to take out my family. So I do believe that he does have a not a, a not a of compa- of compassion. Although I don't think that it is love. I think that it's I think it's Fair. guilt. I think it's guilt more than anything. It's true. Um, and, um, yeah, so we're on agreement that I, I, I don't think things are going to end well for Frank. Um, no, I don't know. I, well, at least it, it does show his humanity. Like, and, it, and I think that, uh, him sending Jesse away and her baby away is the most powerful scene in the whole film. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, sure, he's a monster, but he's not without a heart. He does have at least one shred of compassion that he, he wouldn't want Jesse... Well, for one thing, he's doing this to protect Jesse, and then that way Frank won't get his mitts on them. Uh, and also, this is definitely no life for for her nor their child. Um, and I think probably a, a lesser, more popcornish kind of film would have had uh, Jesse joining Frank on his pursuits. It probably became like a Bonnie and Clyde style uh, duo. Well, I'm glad it didn't wind up that way. Like that, I, that would have been a major groaner for me if they went down that rabbit hole. But um, that is just almost Shakespearean in its approach of how he he sends uh, Jesse away for just so that they won't be part of his disastrous life. Yeah, I I think at some point one a producer might have said, well, what if um, not necessarily that Jesse joins him in the final shootout, but if he sends her away to a safe house and says, you know, I'll be there. It, it, like we've we've seen this in, in I countless movies. I'll be there in a week. Like you can count right. it. the next knock you hear on that door. It's gonna be me coming back, and that's another thing that I I like the choices of this. And I know that it, it, we were just talking about how it's a slow burn, so it might not appeal to um, general audiences. And it's also it's kind of a downer ending. I mean, regardless, either he walks away into the night. And disappears, and he's okay down the road, or he dies from his gunshot wounds. We don't know. For me, I'm okay with an ambiguous ending. I know it drives some people up the wall because they want they want either they want it everything all wrapped up all nicely in a nice tight bow. Like I need to know exactly what happens when. I, after the movie is over, I need to know that either the characters are dead or they're okay. Uh, I air on um, a quote from one of my favorite directors. John Waters says, I don't know about you, but I want to feel miserable when I leave the movie theater. And I'm not sure that I necessarily want to feel miserable, but I at least want to have a, an ending that's... Um, realistic to the story that's being told and i think i think the ending shot of him just walking down these this suburban street the sh- a street that he doesn't belong on with the police sirens in the background um 
it's just like you said it's it's shakespearean it's poetic mm-hmm. um and then you get the fade to black and then you just get thief coming up and again i i i love the title the more i think about it the more that i love the title thief and i'm so glad that it didn't end up being violent streets yeah i think violent sense I think Violent Streets would have been a fine title if you're dealing with um, something, if you're dealing with material like gangsters or mm-hmm. gangs or, you know, like something like the Warriors or you're dealing with, you know, but Thief to me is just like the perfect, perfect title. Now, right. you said that right. Michael Mann is, 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 so he's easily in your top five directors then we could, we could guess weren't. Uh, top three. He's number one. Number one. Number one director. How would you rank this as far as the rest of his filmography goes? Well, oh, great question. Um, let's see. Uh, I would mark that as. Uh, let's see if on top five. Uh, I would sure. mark that as number three. Okay. Let's number see. one. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to ask you for your top five, please. Uh, uh, number five would probably be Collateral. Okay. Uh, number four would be Crime Story, the pilot episode, which was uh, extended to a two-hour made-for-TV film. Three would be Thief. Uh, two would be Manhunter. Number one is Heat. Have you read Heat 2 yet? Not yet. I, I That's also on one of my, uh, my must-buy uh, books. Um, I've, I'm hearing great things, and it's definitely on there. I'm, I'm gonna, definitely going to have to buy it pretty soon. Um, yeah, I uh, I'm a big fan of. Thank you so much. You remind because I was going. I'm trying to think back in my mind. I was like Collateral, yeah, Public Enemies. I was like eh, Public Enemies is okay. And then you said Manhunter. I'm like I forgot that he did Manhunter. <laughs> Manhunter is brilliant. Oh, that's um, awesome. Michael, Ma- yeah, he can. He's he's a he's a great. I think auteur is the word. Um, and I I I'm I'm happy that you rank it up there number three because i was gonna say uh, i i think this is a movie that kind of gets slept on which brings brings me to um a discussion that i like to have towards the end of the episode is why has this movie achieved cult status and i'm gonna ask you for your thoughts to to what they are i think some of them are pretty obvious but if you have any uh, like kind of obscure thoughts to why you think it's achieved such uh cult stat not only greatness and cult status but uh it it doesn't not just any old movie ends up in the criterion collection so um what say you caesar uh the fact that thief uh, reached its cult status i would say um it's just it's great attention to detail uh the fact that it's not your uh run-of-the-mill um slick heist film it's definitely not that it's not Ocean's Eleven. It's not the Thomas Crown Affair. It is a nitty-gritty, near-documentary of how a thief should be, and they just nailed it. They just they knocked that out of the park. That's what Michael Mann's intention was, is to uh, make everything realistic down to, um, down to every little detail. It is an unwashed look of how a, of a criminal operates, and it's... It's just awesome. I mean, I, I, that's how I would depict it. It's just it's bare bones, realistic feel. Excellent. Yeah. No. Spot on. Spot on. Uh, so for me, 
um, because I'm always I, I'm I I'm currently writing an article about what constitutes a cult film, and it's 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 hard because I have all these ideas in my head, and I'm trying to put them down onto paper, and it's it's a it's a mess for me. Yeah. So I'm gonna go. And but that that's my that's a general kind of uh, thing that I'm working on. For me specifically, Thief I think achieves cult status because it wasn't you know it wasn't a huge hit at the time, which is very often what I run into with these cult movies. But it's usually favored by the critics. General audiences are kind of uh, indifferent to it. It does. Fairly well at the box office, but this this comes back to um, uh, quite a few movies that I've covered. Is that I think that it achieves cult status because people are constantly rediscovering this movie, and I think that it, in the eighties, it was probably being rediscovered in eighties and nineties. It was kind of being rediscovered to video stores as Michael Mann became more and more popular and again a a lot of movies that i cover here on the show when a director gets really really popular um certain movies kind of rise to the top of when you think michael mann you think heat or you think collateral and um yeah and then you're like oh I you know I've never heard of this movie Thief and then you're like oh let me so I'll check it out so like it's kind of one of those um sometimes a, a director's filmography will overshadow certain movies and so I like to kind of bring the light to some of those movies and I think Thief easily falls into that category of um of of people that you know every time a new Michael Mann movie comes out um you know he's he's I I'm going to warrant a guess that his best well-known movie if his not most popular movie is still heat and he's still being talked about today we just brought up that heat 2 there is a sequel to heat it's only in book form um but yeah i also think that the music helps the cult status because um it's it's a very grinding mechanical feel and Tangerine Dream I think this was one of their first films that they ever scored and they would later score like numerous movies in the 80s I think so and um it's it's like you said it's not it's not slick it's it's slick but it's not slick like um there, there are parts of it that are very, very clean, very slick, very nice camera movements. But then, when it when it's supposed to be ugly, the movie is ugly. Um, oh yeah. And I think that just shows, you know, what potential Michael Mann has had as a director, go you know, and would have achieved later on in his career. So I mean. Again, if you haven't seen Thief and you've listened to us talk about it, um, who if for those wh- who would you recommend this movie to if, for people that haven't seen it? Uh, I would recommend it to uh, the people who, who are basically who are tired of 
highly stylized, hyper editing, hyper edited uh, films that are, you know, I, I, things that are like people are just so used to now. Uh, and I would recommend it to, in particular, Gen Zers who may get tired of, say, the MCU or any of Jerry Bruckheimer's uh, materials. I mean, I'm not to disparage them. I, ha I happen to like the MCU myself. But anybody who's just tired of the, the, the super slick, if anything that's too hyper embellished, anything like that, I recommend them checking out Thief. Uh, because uh, Thief is completely wonderful in its presentation of the criminal world. It's a no BS, uh, totally politically incorrect film. Um, especially in the, that that crazy dialogue from from Leo. Uh, <laughs> if if anybody who's who who yearns for that uh, that unclean realistic grittiness of of yesteryear, Thief is a great place to start, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I think that this it's a great heist movie, but not only is it a great heist movie, it's like you said, it's a very smart movie. And while Frank isn't, he's, um, he's not a, a well-educated man, formally educated, but he's a very, very intelligent, street smart individual. And that comes, that, and that comes through in his character and his performance. And I really think that if you want an interesting this movie could also be seen as a very interesting character study because we spend nearly every frame of the movie with Frank. And this is, this is, this is James Caan's movie. And he, he just, he nails it. Like every, every little emotion that he has, because the man is very robotic at times, but like you said, when the violence happens, it's explosive, and it's so much more impactful because we haven't been worn down by violence. By the end, with the exception of First Blood, any other Rambo movie, by the time the violent climax happens, I've already seen like three dozen people get like <laughs> mowed well, down with machine guns. Like I'm, it's enough. So to me, like I like these kinds of movies where it's it's paced out. I mean, there there there's. It's funny because I think any other director would have shown that there's a scene where um, we, we don't see it, but we're told that a guy just took a took a walk out a 13 story window. We don't uh -huh. see this. We just are told this. And any other yeah. director would be like, oh, no, we need to get the shot of the guy getting thrown out the window. But I mean, there's something there's something very tactful about the way that Michael Mann handles uh, his material. And I, I, I just think that this is something to, um, if you're a fan of Michael Mann, uh, check it out. If you're, if you like a smart, intelligent thriller, check it out. Uh, if you want to see kind of how to break into a safe, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you want to do it on your own safe, just to check out your, your own safety precautions and not break into anybody else's personal property. Uh, check it out because yeah, th this movie's kind of a handbook on, on how to be a, a safe cracker, uh, so to speak. Uh, um, any final thoughts, Caesar on thief? Um, check it out. It's, uh, I, I, if I were to quickly ask you, Chris, uh, yes. what would be, what is your favorite scene in the whole film? 
I like the diner scene. I really mm-hmm. do. I I just think the dialogue is is, is great. But I, I I'm also I I I like the final shootout. I I like I like it because that violence is earned. And like I said, I'm I get sick to death when I watch an action movie. And everyone has been mowed down before and I I like seeing this earned action scene mm-hmm. and I like that it's not hyper stylized and MTV edited with with a with a cut every two to three seconds. I yeah. like the gut I like that the like we're we're seeing um squibs go off. People get shot, there's squibs going off. And I like that it's not a high body count and it's a it's a realistic final showdown for me and I like that. I like that it's realistic. He pistol whips the one guy, he probably should have killed him. Shoots Robert Prosky. You think Robert Prosky's dead and but they linger and he reaches up one last time to shoot him. Fred shoots uh Frank shoots him dead in the head. He goes out to the front lawn, and then we get the shootout with uh, Dennis Farina and the other guy. And I, I like, um, I like the fact that he doesn't walk away unscathed. Yeah, I almost, I almost wish that he wasn't wearing a bulletproof vest. Although, it's uncertain because it's so dark that. He could have very easily gotten shot, and he had, he was just checking to see if he had gotten shot or not, and maybe the vest caught it, and maybe it didn't. Um, but I like the uncertainty. I like the ambiguous ending because Frank, to me, and, and again, I, I can't help but go into psychology mode, is a very ambiguous character. And like I said, I, I, talked, I talked a great deal about what I think is going on psychologically with him. Um, so I, I like, I like not knowing because in life, every day we are left with a mystery of some sort, whether it be big or small, who ate the last piece of pizza? Like, uh, I could have sworn that my garbage can wasn't two feet to the left. Life's full of little mysteries. So not, it's okay. I, I, I'm okay sitting with the fact that I don't know what's going to happen to this character. And I can only hope I don't want to see a thief too, because James Kahn is no longer with us. I don't want to see a thief too, but if I read heat two and it's as good as people are telling me, I'm all for Michael Mann writing, writing a sequel to thief. That's um, not a bad idea. That I would like to see. I don't want to see a sequel to this because, like I said, I don't want to see anyone else but James Conn play this role. Right. So yeah, like, I, I already picture some some goofy people saying, oh, why not make like, a prequel with Scott Conn as Frank? No. <laughs> no. As no. much as I admire Scott Conn, too, no. Yeah. Please don't. <laughs> no, please leave it alone. And if... Ugh. Gosh, I hope Jerry Brockheimer never hears this because he's immediately <laughs> he's gonna be thinking dollar signs. Uh, I I'm thinking that I I think the best the best way that that this if there is going to be a continuation of the story, um, I, I it should be in novel form. And since Michael Mann has is dipped his toes into that, 
I, I'm not opposed to that, but whatever you do, yeah, do no prequel with Scott Con. I do like Scott Con. No prequel with Scott Con. No, no sequel with really like superimposing James Con's face over somebody. Oh. No recasting. Um, but yeah, um, thank you so much, Caesar, for joining me. Uh, we have very similar views about what we want to yeah. do when we when you when you when you're posting on. On, on Twitter, I always take notice of the movies that you that you post because, um, yeah, that's what I want to do with this show is that um, I, I, I'm a firm believer that a cult film can come from any time period, from any director, from any movie studio. And um, something like Th- Thief needs to um, – it's, it's such a timeless tale of, of heists – and the underworld and dirty cops are it's a timeless tale so this is a movie that has pretty much no like expiration date on it so um if you haven't checked out thief check it out if you haven't watched it in a while rewatch it and caesar before we go where can we find you on twitter uh well again my um my handle is called reens hook and uh every day usually Either early morning or in the mid-morning, I post my uh, trailer tweets. Hashtag trailer tweets, where I promote uh, cool, forgotten movie trailers. And I highly recommend you check them out, especially if you're curious about these uh, forgotten cinematic treasures. And uh, Caesar's Twitter handle will be in the episode description. Follow him on Twitter. You won't regret it. He posts, um, I've yeah, I, seven days a week. So always, always looking forward to catching up on on movies that you might have missed and and don't be afraid to fill in those gaps of of your cinematic history because more often than not you will not be disappointed this has been chris from the cult film companion podcast thank you so much for joining me i'll be back with another cult classic real soon